0: Welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. the super team that we root for has grown in numbers. And this one, I got to tell you, I'm I'm surprised by it. I don't even think Biseglia and I texted each other about LaMarcus Aldridge when we heard about a month ago that the Spurs were going to shut him down and then they were going to buy him out. I just kind of assumed he was going to head to Miami. I never thought he fit with our team. So when you found out on Saturday that LaMarcus Aldridge, the former six- or seven-time All-Star, was signing with our beloved Brooklyn Nets. What was your reaction? Uh, surprised, very surprised.
1: And then I sort of chuckled to myself. And then my next thought was, well, everybody's going to hate the Nets even more. But it came out of nowhere. <laughs> I was on, like, like you, hearing all that Miami Heat stuff that we had heard about. Going to the Heat, it made sense. But LaMarcus Aldridge to the Nets – this came out of nowhere. And I remember the Nets, you know, recently played the Spurs and he looked terrible. Didn't even really play in that game. So then my, my mind started thinking, is he any good still? I have no idea. <laughs> he wasn't even on my radar as a thought for somebody that could add depth to this Nets roster. Didn't even think about it.
0: Yeah, you know, I I don't want this to be construed as I'm bitching because clearly there's nothing to bitch about. The team is elite. Uh, hopefully they'll actually be whole and they'll be healthy and we'll see Kevin Durant soon, but more on that later. I just what I haven't understood over the last four days and really since the NBA trade deadline passed and even before that is why it never felt like they were that interested in Andre Drummond, because Andre Drummond is the guy that you and I talked about. Most Met, net fans talked about as the perfect fit for this roster, just from a rebounding sense, just from a we're not going to give opponents second chance opportunity sense and the way they signed LaMarcus, the way they were never even, it appeared, interested in Andre Drummond, was that a choice? Or did they just kind of get the idea Drummond wasn't coming to Brooklyn? So they, before even being rejected, said, let's move on. Because Drummond was always yeah. the perfect guy for this team. Yeah, that's a very good
1: question, Evan, and I I don't have an answer for that. Uh, who knows what was going on behind the scenes, but it, but it would make you think that they probably never really had a le- – a realistic chance I, I, I or they see something in LaMarcus Aldridge that they believe is a better fit for them maybe they're worried about Drummond in minutes and, and they know that what they're going to get out of Blake and what they're going to get out of Aldridge is more of a 15 to 20 minute range of a guy that's going to come in and just do a couple of things here and there and obviously with the Aldridge pick and pop get some rebounds and maybe there was a fear or maybe Drummond wanted more of a an identity with the team but I I really don't know. I I, I'm curious to find an answer to that. Why there was never a conversation there.
0: I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of theories we could throw at you. I mean, Kevin Durant doesn't want his buddy, Deandre Jordan to completely lose relevance because let's face it. If they signed Andre Drummond, he's the starting center and we barely ever see Deandre Jordan. We just don't. So I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's what you said that maybe Drummond kind of looked at the rosters and preferred LA. Um, Either way, look, I'm not bitching and I don't think there's any negative. I want to make this clear. Forget the resumes, forget the personalities, forget what LaMarcus Aldridge was three years ago compared to what he is today. There is no harm in signing guys to veterans minimums in the buyout market. There's no negative. I mean, you're giving yourself options. You're giving Steve Nash options with his rotation. You're protecting yourself in case guys get hurt at the wrong time. So, it's impossible to be against signing a guy off a buyout and paying him the veterans' minimum. So there's no way to be against Lamarcus Aldridge. To your point, look, we're not watching every Spurs game, but the numbers and the eye test from when we did watch the Nets against the Spurs does tell us that he's cooked. I mean, it does, it does tell us that. He's a terrible defensive player. Look, he can still help them, I guess, a little bit offensively. He still has that mid-range jump shot. He's actually been okay from three the last couple of years, and I think he gives them another weapon on offense, certainly more so than DeAndre when he's on the four- floor playing the five. But defensively, which we are, all- and rebounding. Defensively and rebounding, the two areas that I think, if anything's going to keep us up at night, it's that. He doesn't help.
1: It's uh, it's funny because the, the national perspective and the net, I would say the legit net fan kind of inner perspective is interesting. The net fans, the true net fans kind of like, eh, okay, we'll see what happens. He's not the same player he used to be, but then the, the broader view is, oh, this net super team, they add another player. It's a seven time all-star in LaMarcus Aldridge. It's like, here we go again. Nets adding more pieces, but in reality, it's like, can he even still play? What's he going to give him? And I would say I've been pleasantly surprised by Blake. And I would say with him, yes. he definitely has turned it up a little notch. But with with uh, LaMarcus, he's older. He was not as much involved. I, this this feels a little bit more of a um, – I would be completely surprised if we went back to a former version of LaMarcus Altrich. This seems like more of uh, maybe he'll give a couple of minutes, hit a couple of jumpers. He gives a little more stability than DeAndre who – I mean, maybe LaMarcus Aldridge isn't good at defense, but maybe he'll try, which is an upgrade from DeAndre.
0: Well, to watch the perimeter. I don't know. You, you know what else it also does? I think that, look, he still has a little bit of an offensive game left. And when you are facing Joel Embiid, you'll make Joel Embiid work a little bit. I mean, when DeAndre Jordan's on the floor, all you've got to do is just watch against the lop. I mean, that's pretty much it in defending DeAndre Jordan. He has no offensive game besides right. that. So when you are facing a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge or Nicholas Claxton, assuming, you know, he kind of fights through and does get postseason minutes, you are now putting your, oppose, your opposing five that you're going up against for the sake of this Joel Embiid, who, you know, at some point the Nets are probably going to face, unless the Bucks do our dirty work, which you never know, or the Knicks do our dirty work since they're so good. Uh, All right. it, it will make Joel Embiid work defensively. You know, and that, that, I guess that's a positive to it. But as far as what the national media says or Nick fans say or NBA fans say, I mean, they could all collectively kiss my ass. I don't really care. You know, and if anything, I think most net fans have embraced the fact that we're the heels, that we are the NWO, as I like to tweet out. We're not going to be liked, and that's fine. And people are going to go after Kevin Durant. And I love the fact that Kevin Durant was going at it with people on Sunday morning, basically writing back at him, you know, to a point where I think Tom Brady agreed with him. When KD said, well, I can't do anything by myself. And Tom Brady's like, that's right. You need your teammates. But embrace the fact that we're hated. And anyone's going to bitch about signing LaMarcus Aldridge? Dude, welcome to the post-trade deadline buyout market in the NBA. This has been going on for years. Guys get bought out. And guess where they go? They don't go the little engine that could that's battling to be above 500. We were that team a few years ago. They go to championship contenders. And the Nets and the Lakers are championship contenders, period.
1: Yeah, it's surprising that everybody every year brings it up and they're like, this is unfair. This has been the NBA forever back in 1980, 1990, 2000s. This is not a new thing. This has been going on for all NBA. It's just what happens. And I'll also say this point because this was kind of driving me nuts and to be consistent, like there were people when they traded for Harden. Now you and I were against the deal. We were not in favor of it, but people would, the, the same people that would be like, Hey, they traded for James Harden. There's there's only one ball. This team's not good enough to win. <laughs> then the same people are making the point. Oh, they got Blake and they got LaMarcus. They're too good now. Well, wait a minute. If they weren't good enough when they got Harden because there was only one ball and the team wasn't good enough, you can't then tell me that adding two other veteran role players makes them unstoppable because from your standpoint earlier, you just told me that they weren't good enough and there was only one ball. So that's what really eats me alive is you can't have it both ways. So they're not good enough with Harden because there's only one ball and it won't work. But then when they sign other veterans, it's unfair. Which one is it?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, there's nothing unfair about the Nets adding Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge at this point in their careers. I mean, you've heard how we talked about it, how most net fans talk about it. Not that they were bad moves. I haven't been against any of these moves, just that it's not Blake Griffin jumping over a Kia, even though he does have, I think, two or three dunks now as a member of the Brooklyn Nets and Blake's played well. You know, a couple of minutes on Blake Griffin because, look, LaMarcus probably isn't going to play for a week or two. He's got to ramp up, quote-unquote. So when we see him play, we'll judge him. Blake's played well. He really has. I've actually been impressed by his defense. I'm not stunned by the fact that he's dunked a couple of times. I think that was the most overrated thing in the world. He's an excellent passer, which we've seen. He gives you a little bit of a post game. I mean, so far, I know it's only three games, so you can't get nuts about it. I've been happy with what I've seen from Blake Griffin
1: and and he's hustled. He's been diving on the floor, going for loose balls. That's the part that that I got excited about. It's like, okay, here we are in regular season game, whatever. And he's really giving effort. He's trying and he's going all out on the floor. And you're right. The passing has been nice. He's hit a couple of open threes and the energy. Now I know it was a game against Detroit, so I'm sure he was fired up about it, but you could tell he was like, he was into it and wanted to win. Uh, he's fit nicely in, in, in rotation-wise from Steve Nash. Feels like he's picked it and choose the spots perfectly to put him into the game. So far with Blake, you, you've kind of been excited about it, and then obviously we'll see when Durant comes back where he ultimately fits in
0: with all this. You know what Blake Griffin's going to do? I'll give you a little prediction. Blake Griffin is going to start, I don't want to say a brawl, not even necessarily a fight, but he's an S starter. Like, he yeah. he really is. And I know the Pistons are his former team. Not that he should really be freaking out at Isaiah Stewart or kind of goading him into any kind of physical altercation, but Blake Griffin is an S starter. Okay. I, I know mm. it's a podcast. We can curse. I, I choose not to. I do things clean. The point is, he starts a lot of crap. He really does. And it's a good thing because it isn't Blake Griffin, the superstar, starting a lot of crap, mm. it's Blake Griffin. You know, one of the guys off the bench playing 18 minutes a night that's starting the crap. And you mentioned how he's really been leaving it out there. I think it's a guy who he's gotten relatively close with the Clippers. He had that great year a few years ago with the Pistons, but they were never close. He can smell it. The guy's trying to win an NBA championship. He knows this is his best opportunity. And so he is going to leave it on the floor. But that is one thing I've noticed from him. And look, he's always been that way, but it's much more noticeable when he's on your basketball team. He's going to start a lot of crap come postseason time, and I love it.
1: And I knew I would like Blake Griffin when he was on the court, almost because when he was on another team, I despised him. He (laughs) always got on my nerves. And the older I've gotten, I've realized the guys that really get on my nerves that are on other teams are the guys that I wish I had and that I legit liked, because that's that's what that's what annoyed me about them. It's that they did all these things to tick me off. But when it's on your side, boy, it changes fast, and you have to just embrace it. And there could be there could be moments where uh, Blake's getting into it, you know pissing off Giannis Antetokounmpo or maybe he's pulling a Jared Dudley in the playoffs and he's getting you know Jimmy Butler kicked out when the Nets are playing the heat and I I guess potentially the first round the way Miami struggled but uh, yeah so far with Blake pleasantly surprised with everything he's been fantastic
0: you hit on the guy though I mean you have you have completed the prediction perfectly so now it is a it's not a me prediction it's a you and I prediction player Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be the guy that Blake Griffin gets under the skin of. There's no doubt now because one thing we've noticed about Giannis during the playoffs, very sensitive, very, very sensitive. You can get to Giannis. There's no doubt. So if the Nets play the Milwaukee Bucks, because there's a lot of things that may have to happen to lead to that matchup, well, we'll see. We'll see how the seating unfolds. Uh, There's no doubt Blake Griffin will get to Giannis. But look, so far, so good. Uh, I understood why they benched him on the back-to-back against Utah. That was the punt game from earlier this week where Steve Nash and Sean Marks said, what the hell is the point? And Mm. I'm glad they did that because James Harden, look, James Harden's quote, I'm a baller. I just want to play basketball is the antithesis of what the reputation is right now of NBA stars. There's a reputation of the maintenance day. And it's not all NBA stars, by the way, Kawhi Leonard, And Kyrie Irving isn't LeBron James. When LeBron's healthy, he's out there playing every single game. But Harden makes that quote, and it scared me in a way because I knew, boy, this guy's going to push himself after playing a million minutes against the Trailblazers, which he led them to victory. He's going to push himself against the Jazz in a game in which they're 85% likely to lose. So I'm glad that the Nets stepped in and protected James Harden from himself uh, before that Utah game on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, there are schedule losses where they just the perfect storm hits where you're not going to get a win, and I was okay with this. And, and, and I'm typically like disappointed when your superstars don't play, but when you're looking at what has happened, okay, you've got Detroit coming up on the Friday. So this game was on a Wednesday. You know you've got Detroit coming up in a couple of games, which should be a game you can get the W against. You just defeated Portland, which was an awesome game. You were able to fight through fight f- fight fight through the Ennis Caner domination. Get the victory. James Harden was brilliant with the 44 points. I think it was that, 44. It's like, why then the next night expend energy to lose by 17, 13, when you could just get your ass kicked, relax, get the night off, and move on. It's the Utah Jazz on the road on a back-to-back after a win in Portland, which Nets teams don't typically do. Get the win. You know you got Detroit coming up. Take the two and one, come back home. The schedule gets a little softer. No need to push it against the Utah Jazz, especially with no Kyrie, no Kevin Durant. What's the point? And I and I don't want I know people are like, oh, it's the NBA, you gotta play every game. It's just smart thinking. No. There's no need. It's stupid to put it'd be stupid to go out there and give it to your all that night. Just no. take the L and move on.
0: No, and and he wasn't healthy. I mean, it's not as if it was simply resting James Harden for resting James Harden. He took that hit. Uh, A week earlier in Brooklyn against Washington, he clearly hurt his neck. He played the second half of that game. He played the Portland game. You mentioned big minutes, so it's protecting himself. And look, obviously, Kyrie not being there, you almost grow to expect it. I guess in this situation, it was good news. It hasn't been confirmed. I don't think he's confirmed it, but there's Mm. certainly been a lot of thought out there that him and his fiance are expecting a baby, and if that's the case, good for Kyrie Irving. And he's coming back this week. So it's not a mysterious disappearance that lasted a while. Look, the reality is with Kyrie Irving, even when it is something that's great news, like if his fiance had a kid, that's great news. Every person would celebrate that. I think Kyrie has developed that reputation where anytime he's gone, people are going to jump to conclusions. I fell victim to it. I saw his birthday was during the the time off and me, like everyone else was like, Oh, there's Kyrie celebrating his birthday. It is what it is. I'm glad he's back because when Kyrie Irving has played basketball, the guy's been freaking awesome in 2021. I mean, he's been unbelievable. I know James Harden's getting all the MVP attention and rightfully so, but when Kyrie Irving has played, he it's like, he doesn't miss. Has there ever been a moment this year, Mike, where Kyrie Irving has missed three shots in a row? I don't think it's happened.
1: Uh, he's had a couple of games where the three point shooting was low, but I'll tell you every time he puts the ball up, I mean, you just know that little mid range game, he gets into the paint, he fades away. He's got the three point shot. I mean, he has just been tremendous as the two guard with James Harden in the lineup. He's been awesome. And I think this is cool from Kyrie is he really doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And that's a big deal. And I I know he'll get scrutinized and he took a week off and it was his birthday and everything that's around it. The good news is he, he really doesn't care. Like Kevin Durant might care what you think. I don't think <laughs> Kyrie Irving cares at all about what anybody else thinks about him. He is in his own world. He wants to do what he thinks right. And he's going to go out. And, and the key too is, when he has been on the court, he has given everything offensively and defensively. Yes. Not saying he's yeah. the best defensive player in the world. There's been times we get a mismatch, someone put you know, someone in the post, but he's gone after loose balls. He's got it in passing lanes, and he's been active on the defensive end. I'm getting more and more confident that when t- when it's showtime, Kyrie Irving's gonna be there. And I, I I maybe I was a little more worried earlier in the year. I'm I'm not I'm not really concerned, like, hey, we're going to get to the playoff. Kyrie's going to be gone for three days. Kyrie's going to be there. I'm feeling confident about that.
0: We'll get to when Kevin Durant's going to be here in a second, but let's put a bow on the NBA trade deadline because I think the only thought that the Nets had or we had about the Nets was Dinwiddie. Um, I'd love for him to be re-signed at the end of the year. I think you agree. But if they're not going to be able to re-sign him and they know that and Spencer doesn't want to come back, then trading him made sense. They obviously didn't trade him, which leads to two possibilities, okay? Number one, they think they could resign him. They, they think that that is still a legitimate possibility, whether it's Joseph Side paying the tax or Dinwiddie being willing to come back. The other thing may be if they believe that Spencer Dinwiddie has a chance to come back this season, then they weren't just going to give him away. Then they weren't just going to, you know, throw him to Miami for Avery Bradley, who ended up getting traded anyway and may end up getting bought out. We'll see. So I think the Dinwiddie question still remains. Dinwiddie was blunt on Twitter this weekend. He said he thinks he can come back. So, you know, we could sit here and speculate all day. We could say no way, no how. Spencer Dinwiddie himself said he thinks he can come back and play at some point this season. (laughs) So. What do you think? You think that's well, happening?
1: Well, well I, I, all I could say, I'd, I'd love to see it happen. I know you love Spencer. I love Spencer. And the thing the Nets kind of have issues with, like when Kyrie's gone, is they don't really have a backup point guard. They kind of just manipulate the lineup so that when Harden's in, he's playing a point. When he comes out, they've had the rotation where Kyrie is always, you know, somebody's in the, in the game that can be a ball handler. I mean, Dinwiddie would be out of all the people we've talked about would be a game changer for this team because he's somebody can shoot the three, get to the basket, defend the perimeter. He would be the perfect addition to this team. And in the second unit, then when you compare him again with James Harden or Kyrie Irving as your as your second unit backcourt. I mean, that to me would be such a killer for this team. But in fairness, that would be the best. In fairness, I know he might not be the
0: same dude. Well, I I would almost look at it as if somehow he got cleared and played. You're looking at 10, 15 minutes off the bench. You're looking at a guy. It's just to throw another body out there, you know? So I don't have the highest expectations. I think for his sake, he's got to be smart. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I know he has a player option, but for all intents and purposes, he's going to opt out. You don't want to come back too quick and have this become worse. So yeah, for me and you, we're just thinking about an NBA championship. And at the end of the day, that's, I mean, that's really all I care about, but I just can't expect that if Dinwiddie does come back, we are going to see anywhere close to the guy that we've grown and loved over the last few years. He would be a shell of his former self if he's coming back that soon after an injury like this, but you know, at it, it least also holds out hope that maybe they can re-sign him because, you know, I don't care about Joseph's size luxury tax bill. They've got Spencer Dinwiddie's bird rights. Why wouldn't you want to bring him back? It also puts you in a position where if one of these guys leave or all three of them leave in another year, Spencer Dinwiddie's still a part of the course. So I'm hopeful they were able to keep him. I, I didn't know what to expect at the trade deadline with him because obviously Sean Marks knows more than us about the future. And I'm curious what kind of offers they got. Like, did they were they getting right, compelling offers for right. Dinwiddie? Yeah.
1: See that that to me is the key because I don't think that he's going to resign. I think, for their standpoint, they said, okay, he, we've got a 3rd thir- let, let's make up numbers. We've got a 25% chance that Spencer Dinwiddie comes back. Okay, with that number in mind, here's here's what we're getting offers for in return. Would we rather have take a chance at Spencer Dinwiddie coming back? 25% he's 50% of the player he was. And this is, or we get, this is the return. And they probably looked at the offers and said, you know what? I think it's better just to roll the dice. See if he comes back as opposed to these trade offers, which are marginal at best and aren't going to really help our roster. Let's just roll the dice and see if Spencer's healthy. And they kind of weighed what there was offered, what his health situation is and kind of said, you know what? Let's go with this option. That's what I, cause I think the offers suck. That's what I think happened.
0: Yeah, I know you're probably right. Speaking of the offers sucking, I thought the best part of the trade deadline was that Masai Ujiri told the Philadelphia 76ers, the Miami Heat and the LA Lakers to basically go F themselves and he held on to Kyle Lowry because listen man as those Lowry rumors were heating up not that we should be scared of anybody quote unquote but I did not want to see Kyle Lowry in Miami, Philly or LA. I mean, pick your poison with any of those three places.
1: Philly, Philly in particular got got on my head because just of the um Ben Simmons, and he's a great defender, he's great at getting to the basket, but we all know it, this is not you know not breaking news here, but he's had issues shooting the basketball. So to me, it was like the perfect pairing of a guy that could handle the ball, could obviously make huge shots. I mean, if you've watched any Nets game versus the Raptors, I don't think Kyle Lowry has ever missed a shot. <laughs> no, I mean it's I unbelievable. So that got in my head. Like I, I always like the all net killer teams and Kyle Lowry. Is on that list. Norman Powell's on that list too from Toronto. Well, not on Toronto anymore. But these are guys that just always seem to make shots. Him and Philly, I think would have been a dangerous pairing in a backcourt with Ben Simmons. It would have been a nice, perfect, the nice little uh a, a nice little sidekick for Joel M B to have to have along, uh, especially when those double teams came along.
0: That was the scariest. Now I agree with you. I mean, if you rank where you didn't want to see Kyle Lowry go, it was certainly Philadelphia. Um, I still think we would have been the favorites, but You know, putting him on that roster, and just remember the defensive intensity—the way he can muck up. Oh God, yeah. I mean, he taking charges. He's just—he's a pain in the ass. It's the—it's the best compliment I can give him. He's a pain in the ass, though. I do think of Game Seven Nets Raptors from 2014, where Kyle Lowry had a shot blocked for a potential game winner at the buzzer up in Toronto. Paul Pierce and KG, our guys playing some defense down the stretch. But Uh, you know what's funny about Kyle Lowry? This isn't even a Nets point, but think about this. Until Kawhi Leonard got to Toronto, Kyle Lowry's reputation was that he was a choke artist, him and DeMar DeRozan. I mean, let's face it, that's the reality. The Toronto Raptors were known as a team that would have great regular seasons and would underachieve as soon as they witnessed LeBron James. As soon as they looked into the eyes of LeBron James, they wilted. And so that was the Raptor reputation. And obviously, Masai Yajiri changed head coaches, makes the DeMar DeRozan-Kawhi Leonard trade. And Kyle Lowry was great, no doubt about it, in helping them win an NBA title. But you talk about a completely different view of one's reputation by winning an NBA championship. And that's not the first time it happened. Look at Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. What were their postseason reputations before they all came together and won the NBA title in 2008? But Lowry's the same way. If we talked about Kyle Lowry Biseglia two years ago, we'd be saying, hey, he's a postseason choke artist. Well,
1: that's why I think James Harden is so motivated right now. Obviously, (laughs) what's been talked about him in Houston and the failures against Golden State and some of those awful games that he had now coming to Brooklyn, he's obviously shown that he's an MVP caliber player. And he knows with Kyrie and Durant, this is his shot to win it all. So I'm going to be – this is kind of jumping to the net side of things with this, but I'm so curious to see what this team and what he's going to look like in the postseason and we get to a big spot if he – I'm not saying takes the final shot. I'm just talking about is in the game and it doesn't have like nine turnovers and has had a one-for-13 three-point three shot game. I'm, I'm dying to see what Harden looks like in these postseason. You know what's crazy?
0: Wait. You know what's crazy about Harden? So he has not shot the ball well recently no. from three. And yet he's playing outstanding basketball. And that's the difference. And what I mean by that is Mm. in Houston, he couldn't do that. You know, if James Harden wasn't shooting the ball well from three, especially in the postseason, the Houston Rockets weren't going to win. And we were all going to crush him as a playoff choke artist. If James Harden is playing the way he's played over the last two weeks in the postseason, where He can't buy a three, though I think he was a little bit better in the Portland game and the Detroit game. If uh, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but certainly the Detroit game, the Detroit game, definitely. But he was still good enough making guys around him better. And when your teammates with Kyrie Irving and eventually Kevin Durant, you don't have to shoot the lights out. So. And to me, I don't care about James Harden's legacy in Houston. It means nothing to me. It's all about winning an NBA championship for our basketball team. But that's the one thing that's really going to help him. He he can have off-shooting nights in the playoffs, still make guys around them better, and get bailed out by the fact that he's got two awesome teammates who are Hall of Fame caliber offensive players. It's completely different than what he dealt with in Houston.
1: And it's crazy now, too, because when we the season started, it was about Durant. And at this point, this is James Harden's basketball team. I don't think... You know, the narrative could change with that because Durant comes back. We'll see what happens when we get to the playoffs. But right now, this is James Harden's net. He has led this team. When he is on the court, they have a chance to beat anybody in the league because he has just been that good. So the mystery now of Kevin Durant, who hasn't played in a month, what's his injury going to be like coming back and just seeing him paired with Harden and paired with Kyrie Irving? I got to be honest, Evan, I've almost forgotten about Kevin Durant because James Harden has <laughs> been so good. But then, you know, I see these reports, he's doubtful for the week, etc. I get a little bit excited and, you know, I'm like, what's this going to be like? What's this going to be like? But in my head, I've kind of forgotten about KD in the short-term moment, but not for the long-term goal.
0: KD has been more influential as the general manager of this team than he has been as a star player. <laughs> True. And that's not even a joke. That's just the reality. I mean, he has been more influential in that aspect than the 19 games he's played. That's it. He's played 19 games, really 18 and a half, because you have that Toronto game where he wasn't allowed to start. Then he came in, then they took him out. So this guy's played 18 and a half games as a Brooklyn net. And I'm not knocking him because again, his influence off the court, Has been incredible. I don't know if Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge decide to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. If Kevin Durant isn't doing what he's doing in the background, wasn't working out with Blake Griffin out in California. But here's the ultimate question. As we go into a brand new week, and you mentioned earlier, it's a soft schedule. Uh, They play the Minnesota Timberwolves Monday night in Brooklyn. They play the Rockets Wednesday night in Brooklyn. The Charlotte Hornets have still been hanging tough despite the injury to Alonzo Ball. That's a back-to-back Thursday night on national TV. They play the Chicago Bulls. Again, okay, they made the big trade for Vukovic, still a below 500 team. They play the New York Knicks. They have been feisty as hell, but again, still right around a 500 team. They play the New Orleans Pelicans. That's the next week and a half, okay? Nothing daunting is on that schedule. I'm not saying they're going to win every game, but nothing as daunting is on that schedule. When is Kevin Durant going to play? There are 26 games left in the next season. I just listed off the next six of them or five of them. Like, when are we going to see him? He's doubtful for the week. Okay, that means no Rockets, no Timberwolves, no Hornets, no Bulls. Do we see him Monday night in Brooklyn against the New York Knicks?
1: But you know this, Evan, too, with the Nets, is they're so stinking sneaky. They'll say he's doubtful, which doesn't mean he's out, right? So if you actually... I know most of the time if somebody says hey, you're doubtful, they're not going to play, but I wouldn't be shocked with the Nets if all of a sudden against the Hornets they're like, yeah, he, he's doubtful to probable. Here he is. I wouldn't be stunned by that. And I think it would be such a Nets move to just come out of left field where all of a sudden Kevin Durant's going to play. Part of me thinks that's a, certainly a possibility, but when you say the but 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 when you say the word doubtful, it makes me think this week's to no. know next week's a probable. So he goes next week. So I guess that would mean the, the, the Knicks game,
0: which would be the Monday. Well, it could be the Knicks on Monday, the Pelicans on Wednesday, or this would be beautiful Saturday night on ABC against the LA Lakers. Mm. That could be the game. Yeah. So that <laughs> would be
1: seven later. But then, I mean, you're, you're right when you, you brought up your original point with it, 26 games to go. These guys have to get some reps together. I know. They I have know. to get some reps together. They're, they're not they're not winning a championship <coughs> if, if Durant comes back and it's just for the playoffs. They need to get some reps together. They need to get a little chemistry, something on the court. I don't think they're not that good where they could just be like, all right, we're playing, and now they're going again, up against the Sixers who have chemistry. I just – I just can't see that that happening. They need some
0: reps. Well, they need to play. And, you know, even when he comes back, he's not going to play every single game. We know that. There are back-to-backs. There aren't many uh, the rest of the season, but there are a handful. You never know when Kyrie Irving's going to need a maintenance day. You never know what other injuries are in front of us that we haven't even seen yet. You know, God forbid Kevin Durant comes back, gets hurt again. But 26 games left, all right? How many games? This is the question, and I'm going to write it down just to see how off or accurate we are. There are 26 games left this season. How many games will all three play together in? All three
1: together? I'm going to say 11.
0: You're going to go with 11. He's going with 11.
1: That feels right to me, 11. Yeah, because... There's going to be maintenance nights. There's going to be at the end of the season where the games don't really matter and they're secured up in a spot. I'm going to go with 11.
0: Yeah. But even when they are secured up in a spot, if you don't feel they've played enough together, play them together.
1: You know what I mean? Yes. I, I like, no, I did fair point, but I just, you just see these things like it's nets. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head, but they're, <laughs> they're locked in as the two seed.
0: It's the last night of the season. They're not playing. Yeah. I'm gonna go with of the twenty six, I'm gonna go with half. I'd say they play thirteen games together the remainder of this season. And by the I way, if you're, right. you're if you're keeping track at home because I remember I asked you this a few weeks ago, the Uh-oh. breakdown. here is the 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 breakdown of every possible connection of stars. yes, uh, and i'll I'll do it in <laughs> I love this opposite order of amount of games played. So okay. it'll be like, The big three, KD Kyrie, KD Harden, just Kyrie, just Harden, just uh, whatever. Right. So the fewest amount of games was the, the just Kyrie Irving game. It was when Kevin Durant first went into protocols. One game they played with just Kyrie Irving, and they won that game. They beat the Utah Jazz. All right. Yes. After that, we've got the KD James Harden games. They played two games together. Do you know what their record was in those two games? Oh, man.
1: Now I'm fishing back. I know they beat Orlando. I remember right. that game because that was the first one. So I'm going to go the second. No, then there was probably was it a Cleveland game? So one and one.
0: No, it was a Milwaukee game. It was the one the win they the had Milwaukee against game. the Bucks. Yes. Okay. So, two and zero oh, KD and Harden. Next up is KD by himself. Uh, he started three games without Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Three games. Uh, two and one. Two and one. That's correct. Lucky guess. After that, we've got the no one game. That's when none of the three stars played. They have played four games. Four games with nobody. Well, that's going to have Karis and
1: Jarrett. So it's not as bad as what we saw like versus uh, Utah, <laughs> which was definitely a loss. So
0: I'll say two and two. One and three. Hmm, they okay. they beat Philadelphia. I remember that on like a Thursday night or a yeah. Wednesday night. It was a TNT game. That's right. It was some kind of nationally televised game. Yeah. Uh after that, we've got James Harden by himself. All right. James Harden by himself. And that number is at six. Six games of James Harden leading the Nets. Six and oh. <laughs> Not quite, not quite. Five and one, four and two, four and two. Ugh. They lost the Philadelphia game and
1: That's they right. lost, that, they,
0: they got killed that game, yeah, and the Dallas game, which was the Saturday night the where Dallas Kyrie game. took That's a maintenance, right. but not bad. That's four right. and two, four and two. Uh,
1: it after, feels like it's been awesome though. So it felt like six in on my head, but you're right. Those two losses, those were bad losses
0: too. Yep, yep. After that, we've got. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That was the original plan from all those Jeez. years ago. Seven games where it was just KD and Kyrie. Uh, Five and two. Three and four. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. They lost both Washington games. The right. collapse against the Wizard, the game where they both missed uh, potential game-winning shots. Right. The first one, yeah. Yeah. They got off to a great start because they won the first two games against Golden State and Boston. After that, they struggled. After that, we've got the big three. Okay. It's eight and a half games. So technically nine of the big three, I can't believe how small that number is, but go ahead. Seven and two. Uh, it is six and two, six and two. You're right. It's actually, I'm sorry. It's eight games. It's seven and a half games, not eight and a half games. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so six and two.
1: Six and two. They Boy, lost it's their. It's so crazy. Just, just all these different uh, equations that you've come up with.
0: This is insane. <laughs> and here we have our, our big one. All right. We went from yes. one, three, four, five, seven, eight, 14 games. Mm. 14 games. I, this is the majority now of uh, the Nets kind of combinations. Kevin right. Durant. I'm, I'm sorry, not Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving and James Harden. The Brooklyn backcourt of Harden And Irving, 14 games. What's their record? 12 and 2. 11 and 3. And remember, they lost their first two games when it was just Kyrie Irving and James Harden. It was against Cleveland and Detroit, the Detroit game, which really sparked them. And obviously, recently they lost the Orlando game. So since they started off 0 and 2, 11 of 12 in being led by Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. So then Harden's record as a net was like 26 and nine or something. Does Eight that sound right? Two nineteen 19 and five, 19 and five, 22 and seven, 22 and seven. Yeah. Okay, that, that's impressive. I mean, that's, that's why he thinks he's the that's MVP the of the league. That's, that's his argument for why I'm the MVP. It's he's it's confident. Act, it's actually why? Cause I think normally if we were, not net fans, and we were watching this from afar, we would say, come on, you got Kyrie Irving, you got Kevin Durant, how could he be the MVP? I think what we just laid out is why he is the MVP. I mean, everything we just laid out, like look at their record in this, look at their record in that, look at the impact that James Harden has had. And look, my argument against James Harden to you on this podcast a few weeks ago is he hasn't played enough. Well, Joe and Embiid isn't playing anymore. LeBron James is banged up. To me, Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo were the two biggest rivals. I think Nikola Jokic has a problem because the Nuggets record isn't good enough. And, you know, Giannis is starting to miss a couple of games. He obviously missed the Knick game over the weekend. But James Harden's right there. I don't care about what he did in Houston. I can't imagine. I mean, I wouldn't use that against him. Like, what does that matter when we're talking about the MVP of the league? If if, from like an internal standpoint of watching
1: the Nets today, the guys that have just benefited so much from him here, Bruce Brown looks like a like Bruce Brown on those little uh, sl- slips to the basket has been awesome. What a beneficiary of James Harden, Nick Claxton on those lobs has been great. Joe Harris open for threes, Kyrie Irving then off the ball, not having to, to be the true point guard. DeAndre Jordan's got free dunks anytime he wants because of James Harden. I mean, he has had such an impact on this roster and made everybody around him look so much better. It's been uh, it's been incredible. The, the Giannis thing will fascinate me because. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's won the last two MVPs. So if he were to get, if he were to win again, it'd be three straight MVPs, which is like you don't do. So I, I wonder if the voters would be against giving Giannis the MVP just based on the fact of like, I don't even think Michael Jordan's gotten something like that. So I'll, I'll be kind of curious to see what they do there. Uh, maybe I'm too inside and too much of a net homer, but I feel like Harden's going to get it when it's all said and done. At the end of
0: the day, the only thing we care about. Yes. And it grows by the day. The pressure grows by the minute <sighs> is winning the whole freaking thing. Like I pine for the podcast we're going to do mm. in late August. It's actually going to be well after. Okay. Where I say to you, all right, Basaglia, we finally experienced the championship where do we go from here. Are we <laughs> putting pressure on them to win again? Are we just going to put our legs up and relax for the next season kind? because I have no idea. I mean, as a sports fan of teams that have never really even come that close to winning a championship. I mean, the closest I've ever come is the closest you've come uh, with the Nets against the Spurs being tied 2 two in a game five in New Jersey and actually having a big fourth quarter lead, a double digit fourth quarter lead in game six when it comes to the Nets. And in my case. The Mets, I mean, was what? Blowing game one of the World Series in 2000 and 2015? You could forget the Jets. You're a giant fan, so you've actually experienced championships.
1: No, I have. So let me ask you this, and maybe you've been asked this a million times, but this is something I do a lot. I do this a lot when I'm working out. It helps me just get through the workout, is I fantasize the moment that it happens. Have you ever done that where you think about, like, this is the, like, it's a Durant kicks it out it's landry shaman of all people that hits the three and the nets win the title like i do these things just to kind of get me fired up so you've you've done that for you of course the
0: the moments of course. now you can do it all you want the moment and i i have it certainly with the jets and the mets over the years not winning a championship but the moments of joy that you have when something big happens and sometimes you can't predict why like for example and, and i can't really explain why when the Mets won the division, which was an obvious thing for the last month. I mean, once they went into Washington, D.C. on Labor Day weekend, that thing was a wrap. So when they won the division in Cincinnati in 2015, it was an obvious thing. It wasn't anything that overly dramatic. But for whatever reason, when they won the game, I really started to cry. I got Hmm. very, very emotional after they won the division. And I wouldn't have predicted that. Like, I wouldn't have told you that. You know, as they're winning the division, I was going to get emotional. I can't explain that. And then for whatever reason, I'll give you a net one for the net fans listening. I got yeah. much more emotional over winning the East in 2003 than I did in 2002. I think in two things. Yeah, I think in 2002, when we beat Boston, I was pumped. Like my reaction was F. Yeah, I can't believe the Nets are in the finals. Just shock and awe. When they beat Detroit in 2003 and swept them, I mean, so obviously it was we were pretty confident. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just it was so Hmm. surreal that we were back that, okay, this is for real now. Now we have to win an NBA title that I reacted much more emotional to beating Detroit and going back to the NBA finals than I did the first time. So Uh, I don't know what that that means that's interesting only i'll just say this real quick from the net
1: side of things i was the exact opposite when they beat the celtics in game six with the keith van horn three kittles drove kicked it out van horn hits the three they go up six with like 50 something seconds left that i got way more emotional than when they beat the pistons i was like all right we're taking care of business now we're going to the nba finals this is about a title as opposed to the year before where it was i haven't seen this team do anything more than just play the bulls and losing three. Now they're going to the NBA finals. I think it hit me uh, a little bit more on that series.
0: Well, we'll compare notes. (laughs) if They win an NBA title. Fair
1: enough. We'll have a cry session together.
0: That's right. (laughs) Good job this week. Maybe we'll throw in some instant reactions. Either way, we'll be back Sunday night for a new edition of the Brooklyn uh, basketball podcast. And for the baseball fans, enjoy it. We have finally made it to opening freaking day. Uh, Tweet us your thoughts at Evan Roberts, WFN at, Mike delivers pod pod see at Mike delivers pod. And next week we'll answer some Twitter questions. We didn't do it this week as we babbled a lot, but we'll definitely do that next week. So thank you for listening to another edition of the Brooklyn basketball podcast.